0: Good evening and welcome to Midway tonight. We're so thankful that you're here. We appreciate those who are a guest tonight. We want you to know that you're always welcome here at the Midway Congregation. What we're doing on Sunday night, for those who are guests, is we have been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday night, and so that's where we'll continue tonight. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and we'll be looking at the latter part of that uh, chapter tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you'd like to be turning your Bible there. As we begin our lesson tonight, have you ever wondered why the disciples, why the apostles never intended or never said that we should build some huge uh, monument to Jesus? that we should have some stone monument. We have monuments for everything else. We have the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. We have some monuments for other presidents as well. We have monuments for those who have fought in wars. And, of course, those things, we are to give honor to them. We understand that. We have huge, if you've ever been to Washington and seen some of the monuments, you know that there are some huge monuments that are there. If you go down to Rio de Janeiro, uh, there's a huge monument to Jesus there. The apostles didn't say, build that. We didn't read anywhere in the Bible where they are, we, we were to, to do it. But uh, there's a monument there that stands 124 foot tall, counting the base and all. And, and so it overlooks, standing up on a mountain, overlooks the city. And I'm sure it's a magnificent thing, but but never in Scripture do we read anything about building a monument of that kind to our Lord. But one of the reasons, or the reason, I'm sure, is that the Lord had already established His monument. He had already put it into place. He Himself instituted what we simply call the Lord's Supper. And it's not made of marble. It's not made of granite. It cannot be visited somewhere in Palestine in some way. But every Lord's Day, Christians all over the world gather in the memory of the sacrifice of our Lord. Every first day of the week we have that opportunity. Unleavened bread is prepared, the fruit of the vine is prepared, and we take a small portion while our heads are bowed in humble adoration and thanksgiving to God for what He has done for us. And what a privilege it is. And we know that this monument, we know this monument as the Lord's Supper. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. No earthly memorial can, can, can even come close to the Lord's Supper. When we think about the Lord's Supper, it's not tied to one place. It can be observed anywhere in the world. It's not for the rich alone. Just a few pennies, if you will, can provide the elements that are needed, necessary in observing the Lord's Supper, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. It doesn't get old or wear out. You know, it's not like a monument that needs to be cleaned up or uh, in some way needs to be repaired. Uh, the Lord's Supper is new and fresh. It, it, it's not like a cold stone, but rather it is warm, if you will, human, intimate, as we partake of the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know what? When the Corinthians came to this monument, they had some shortcomings that Paul needed to address. And he does that in First Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse number 17. Let's, let's quickly look at a few of those things that, that he needed to address with them and uh, get them uh, on the right path with. Number one, we'll see in verse number 17, what had happened was their practice had become so bad in observing the Lord's Supper that it would likely have been better if they had never even observed it. They were doing more harm than good. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 17. Notice what he writes. He says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. I don't have anything good to say in what you're doing. I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Do you remember what I just said? It likely would have been better for them never not to be observing the Lord's Supper because they were making such a mess out of it. They were doing so many things in regard to the Lord's Supper in a way that had not been commanded by the Lord, that they were making even a mockery out of what God had done in establishing this memorial for us to observe every Lord's Day. And, and so as we look at it, he says we, we see verse number 17, look at verse number 18. And as you look at verse number 18, we'll notice another one of the things that, that, that is a problem here is they're divided. Paul says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Now, if you go all the way back to chapter number one, you're introduced to division within the church at Corinth, aren't you? We understand that some were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. And Paul condemns the division part back there. But even in the Lord's Supper, and we'll see this develop more in just a second, even within the Lord's Supper, they were dividing themselves. And that's not the way that God wants His people to be. God wants His people to have unity among themselves. It's good and pleasant for God's children, God's people, to dwell together in unity, the psalmist would say back in the book of Psalms. And so we don't need divisions, and, and we don't need those separations, especially in regard to the Lord's Supper. We ought to be communing together, communing together as God's people. But the church at Corinth, they weren't doing that. They weren't doing observing the Lord's Supper in that way. Well, look again at verse number 19, excuse me, verse number 19. And when you look at verse number 19, we see that not everyone was accepted in all the groups. There were divisions there. Not everyone is accepted. Paul says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, we see that there are factions, there are different groups that are, that are partaking of the Lord's Supper. And, and it seems that there are Uh, Paul says that there has to be factions because there are some that perhaps are doing things in the right way. Remember we noted last time when we were looking at the earlier part of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, that just because there there was sin in the church at Corinth does not mean, and Paul made it clear that it does not mean that everything that they were doing was wrong. Not everyone who was there was participating evidently in the sin and, and, and doing that. But if they were standing up for the truth, then they're going to be ostracized. They're going to be pushed aside. They're going to, to be uh, uh, not part of the other factions. And you know what? That still happens a lot in our world today, doesn't it? If you're not in the in group, you're in the out group. If you're, not a, if you're not politically correct, then you're just an outcast. Well, imagine that happening at church on Sunday, where you're ostracized because you're standing for the truth. That still happens in the church today as well. It ought not be. It wasn't right back then. Paul condemns it then, and God condemns it now. But as we see it, there, there were these factions that were, that were there, and not everyone was accepted in all those groups. Look at verse number 20. When we look at verse number 20, we're going to see that they came together with no thought of the significance of the Lord's Supper. They didn't think about what they were doing. Paul said simply, when you come together, it's not to eat the, not the Lord's Supper that you eat. They were participating in some kind of, uh, of uh, observance, They were participating in that, but they hadn't thought through what they were doing. And Paul will discuss that more in in just a little bit as we'll we'll see it. But they weren't thinking about what they were supposed to be doing. They had no regard for the significance of what it was that they came to do on that, that Sunday, each Sunday. And so Paul, he said previous. I'm not commending you in any of these things and and especially as we look at it when they're not doing that. But again in verses 21 and 22, as we look, it's it, it just they made a common meal out of it. Paul says for an eating each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, one gets drunk. What? Do you not know, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God, humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. As we look at it, these people were not coming together to partake of a special meal in remembrance of Jesus and the sacrifice that He has made for us and what what it means to us. They just made a, a common meal out of it they They had made it something uh, uh, practical if you will for themselves um, they, they had their son to go to uh, to, to, to meeting lunch, if you will, and, and each one was just having having a big old time It seems now notice he says in this passage that some go hungry and, and some get drunk uh, is paul is Paul saying it 's okay to be drinking uh, uh, alcoholic beverages, uh, such, as, such as fermented wine. Well, actually the opposite would be true, wouldn't it? Is Paul not condemning what they're doing here? Is Paul not saying that what they were doing was wrong? They had made it a big party, just like they had done in the days when they were worshiping the idols. Remember them? And these people had been converted, many of them, from idolatry. Idolatry. And they were going back evidently to the way things used to be done. And that wasn't right. It wasn't the way God had authorized. And so some of them didn't have anything, but some of them had too much. Some were hungry, some went, uh, were getting drunk. And so you see, the, the lack of food is, as opposed to the abundance of drink. And so Paul says, this is, this is not right. It wasn't right for them to forsake the Lord's Supper for the sake of their own meal. But as we think about these things, Paul, Paul addresses these problems that, that we see within the church at Corinth as, as in regards to the Lord's Supper. But Paul goes on to discuss the purpose of the Lord's Supper. In, in uh, the context in which we're studying, Paul uh, discusses the purpose of the Lord's Supper. They were doing it wrong, but they needed to know how and what to do, right? They needed to know how and what to do right, right? And so Paul, in writing to them, helps them to understand. And in helping them to understand, he's helping us because the Scriptures have been preserved for you and me to look at, to read, to study, and to understand today. And so we want to spend just a few minutes tonight in thinking thinking about what Paul said in regard to the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Now Paul is going to point out three reasons that we partake of the Lord's Supper. Three reasons that we observe it on the first day of the week. Three reasons. What are they? Well, number one, Paul says we need to take a backward look. We need to take a backward look. Beginning in verse 23, Paul begins to explain, going through verse number 25, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup, After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What was it that Paul was doing? Paul was looking back to the very night before Jesus' crucifixion. And he says, This is the beginning. This is the starting point. This is how it was originally done. You need to remember that. And not just that this is the way that it was originally done. You need to remember the original purpose of it. This is my body. This is my blood that I am offering for you. You know, when we think about it, sometimes our ancestors are forgotten, aren't they? Sometimes our high school yearbooks gather dust along with other photo albums, including pictures of vacations and other things that have gone by. One thing we better not forget is we all need, always need to look back and to see what our Lord did for me. Once each week, we get to pause to remember. Once every week, we get to remember Jesus died for me. And if you're thinking about the football game, or you're thinking about your lunch, or you're thinking about some other thing when you're partaking of the Lord's Supper, you are no better than the Corinthians were. When they came together, they brought their own food, and they decided, we're going to have a party. We need to be having our minds on what is going on. And so we, need, we get to remember every week that Jesus died for me, That he suffered in my place. He put himself in my place. You see, it should have been me who was suffering for my sin. But my sin was laid upon him. And he took it for me. And we need to remember that every week. He died for me. You know what? I owe him. I owe him. Now, I know you've heard <clears throat> people ask this before, and you probably have asked, you know, if, if there was someone who jumped in, front, jumped in front of you when someone was shooting at you, I hope you never get shot at. I don't know that I've ever been shot at. I hope I never get shot at. But if somebody was shooting at you and somebody jumped in front of you and took the bullet for you, what would you think about that person? How would you feel about them? You'd want to honor that person, wouldn't you? If somebody, if somebody uh, started calling them a fool for jumping in front of you, you'd probably get mad at them, right? Well, our Lord got in front of the bullet for us. He took our sins, put them on Himself, and suffered for you and me. As you partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to be concentrating upon the abused body. As the first part, as we partake of the bread. And the life-giving blood in the second part, as we partake of the cup. In doing that, let me call your attention to a passage you may have heard from the book of Isaiah, chapter number 52, at verse number 14. In writing about the suffering servant, Jesus, as a prophecy uh, as to what it would be like for him, Isaiah writes and says, as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And he's writing that about Jesus. He says that they were astonished. Astonished. What is that word astonished as used there in that passage? What does it mean? Well, the word literally means appalled to bring to devastation. Appalled. When they, when they looked upon you, can you imagine being there on the night or uh, on the day of his crucifixion, having seen him having been beaten? Can you imagine being there as they took those big old spikes and placed them in his arm? Drove them through. You know some people can't even stand for you to get a splinter out. Right? Anybody here that has a problem, somebody digging a little splinter out? Can you imagine a spike going through the arm with a hammer? Being nailed into a big old piece of wood? They were astonished, appalled to bring this devastation. Tyndall says this in his commentary, their commentary. Says, The servant's sufferings brought such a disfigurement that those who saw said, Not only is this he, but is this human. Did you note know what Isaiah wrote? He said that his appearance was so marred beyond. Human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children, he didn't even look human. He was beaten so badly. You know, sometimes we see the pictures, how people portray the crucifixion, maybe even the beating that he took before. And and, and I guess I understand that those artists who portray those things, you know, they... They don't really want to offend anyone's uh, taste, if you will. So there's hardly any but maybe a drop or two. But Jesus was beaten on the back. He was slapped. He didn't even look human. I've seen going on first responder calls. I've seen folks who had some very, very grave injuries. I've never seen one who didn't look human. But the Bible says that's what happened with Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. And Paul says, when we partake of it, we look back. To that time, Not just to see how it was done, but why it was done. And we need to remember that every first day of the week when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Not only do we have a backward look, but we need an outward look as well. Look at verse number 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. When you see that verse, when you, when you look at that verse, one of the things that we need to remember is this. Notice what he, what he says here. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What if I said it this way? Suppose I said that the Lord's Supper is not just for Christians. What, what would you say? Well, I hope you'd say, Well, you know, I believe that it was Christians who... Part-. I didn't say anything about the ones who partake. That is for Christians. But when Christians are partaking, what are they doing? Paul says we are proclaiming the Lord's death. That's for the world to see and to know that we have a Savior. That we have one who died for us and who died for them if they will avail themselves of the things that he says that they are to do. It says to the world, I believe in Jesus Christ as God's Son, and that He died for me, and He died for you. We have that outward look as well, but then also we have a forward look. Again, still in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, watch this, until He comes until he comes. We don't know when he's coming. His coming will be like a thief in the night. We understand that that we're to be ready at all times, but until that time gets here, on every first day of the week, what are we to do? Partake of the Lord's Supper. Partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is to be eaten every Lord's Day until the return of Christ. Then we won't have to remember him through the Lord's Supper, we'll be able to remember Him and know Him for eternity as He is. We'll be there with Him. So we have a backward look, we have an outward look, and we have that forward look, looking to the time when Jesus comes. Not only am I reminded of His death when I partake of the Lord's Supper, but I'm also reminded He's coming back. He's coming back. And we need to prepare ourselves... For that and so, Paul has discussed some things about the Lord's Supper. Secondly, Paul discusses a precaution about the Lord's Supper here in verses uh, 27 and following. First Corinthians 11:27 and following. Look, if you will, if you have your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 27, going through verse 29, Paul says, "Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty." Concerning the body and blood of the Lord, let a person examine himself and then uh, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As you look at this passage, we are warned that we are not to eat the Lord's Supper haphazardly. We're warned about that. Seems that the Corinthians were eating it in an unworthy manner. I think I've told you about this gentleman who lived down in South Alabama at a congregation where I preached when I was in school at Faulkner. I finished up my senior year. But he had been baptized a number of years before. And he refused to partake of the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. And what he believed was, I'm not worthy to do that. Well, Folks, that's not what the passage says. We had a long discussion in regard to that. That's not what the passage says. Let me tell you, none of us will ever be worthy. But Paul says that we are not to partake it, or uh, they were doing it in an unworthy manner. And we can't do that. He's not describing the person, but the person's actions. The word is actually an adverb. An adverb modifies the action of a verb. In other words, what Paul is saying is by abusing it the way that they had, they had reduced the Lord's Supper to an insignificant thing. They didn't remember that beating that Jesus took. They didn't remember those nails going into His arms. They didn't know, didn't remember those, uh, those, those feet is they were put to the cross, nailed to the cross. They didn't picture the agony that He went through as He's hanging on that cross. They didn't do that. And when they failed to discern that, when they failed to recognize the significance of it, they were minimizing it to the point uh, of just bringing shame. Shame on Christ. And you know what? There's a penalty that's imposed that Paul says here that when we do that, we eat and drink judgment on Himself. If you have your copy of God's Word and you have a King James translation, the, 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 the King James simply says that you're eating and drinking damnation. Damnation. The word means judgment or condemnation. It's used in the book of Luke chapter 24 verse 20 when the chief priest and the rulers delivered Jesus up to be condemned to death. Same word is used there. He was condemned to death and crucified him, eating and drinking damnation to one soul. Think about what is said in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse number 29. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has... Now, wait a minute. Let's stop right there for a minute. Worse punishment. The writer of the book of Hebrews has just talked about the Old Testament law, the law delivered by Moses. Somebody who rejected that died. They were put to death. What's worse than that? What's worse than dying, even being executed, perhaps even in a a very horrible, tragic way? Paul says, or the writer of the book of Hebrews rather says, of how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved? Worse than even death itself? Evidently. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of His covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Did you catch that? When we eat and we drink without discerning the body of Christ, we're not putting our body in jeopardy. We're putting our soul in jeopardy. I tell you what's worse than being executed, spending eternity in hell. Folks, we're talking some big stuff here, aren't we? We're talking some things that, 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 that's heaven and hell kind of things. We better not be taking the Lord's Supper, observing the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. We better be concentrating and knowing what it is that we are doing in partaking of that. How can we abuse the Lord's Supper today? What are some ways that we can do that? I I don't have time to name every way that we can do that tonight, but here's some, not anticipating it, not thinking about what it is that we're doing. You know, it's just another part of the things that we do when we, quote, unquote, remember last week, last Sunday morning, (coughs) we asked the question, do you come to worship or do you come to worship? It's just one of those things we do. Let's go back to that first one when we come to church. It's just one of those things, I mean, we tolerate it. We're here. Hurry up! Get it done! No anticipation of it. Number two, we can go to the opposite extreme. And I believe we can abuse the Lord's Supper by thinking that's all that matters when we come. That's the only part. Again, we talked about that some last Sunday morning how that uh, it's not not just for the Lord's Supper. There are five avenues of worship laid out in the Word of God. Sometimes people seem to feel, well, as long as I get the Lord's Supper, I'm good. And then what happens is they have either a a half-hearted or altogether fruitless participation in the other worship. And then try to... Be of a spiritual mind when the Lord's Supper is passed. We need to be careful. Number three, thinking it makes up for sin. As long as I'm here and I partake of the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning, I'm good for the rest of the week. It's sort of like getting my ticket punched. If I come in and get my ticket punched when I took the Lord's Supper, I'm good. I, I, I can go cuss if I want to at work. <laughs> no. You can't do that any more than you can do any, any of the other things that are sinful and wrong. It doesn't make up for our life, a life of sin when we come and observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. We can abuse the Lord's Supper by thinking that it does. We can abuse the Lord's Supper by willfully absenting ourselves, staying absent from it. Uh, you know, sometimes it, it may be that folks have the idea that, that well, you know, I, I'll just stay home on Sunday morning. I'll go Sunday night as long as I get the Lord's Supper in. Again, that's akin to what we are talking about earlier no anticipation of it and viewing it as all that matters. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Well, there are other things that we could list, but you can also add some things, I'm sure, in your own mind that you perhaps have seen or thought of in regard to, to abusing the Lord's Supper. The best thing to do is just don't do any of it. Just do what God said to start with, and we'll be good. But that brings us then to the next point in the passage, and we'll see simply that Paul discusses how a close look at oneself must be taken. And we've been hinting all around that, Paul's going to just actually say it here in the next few verses, verses 30 through 34. Paul says, that is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. Now, they're still alive because he's right. You know, one of the things that bothers me about these lawyer commercials, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm not an English major or anything like that. But if you or a loved one has died, if you have died, you are not listening to their commercial. And you are not going to write in or call them. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and not that they had died physically; they had died spiritually. There. That's why some they're abusing the Lord's Supper. That is why some of you are weak and ill. Some have died, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Don't be dividing up into groups. Wait for one another. And if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will... Give directions when I come. Paul has some other things that he needs to talk to them about, perhaps even in regard to the Lord's Supper. But he says, here's what you need to do. Here's the bottom line. Take an inventory of yourself. Look at yourself. Be honest with yourself. These folks had made themselves weak, sick, spiritually they got all kinds of problems that we've addressed already and some that we'll address in the coming weeks. But part of it is because they're not examining themselves. And they're not examining themselves even in regard to the supper of the Lord. Paul says if we're going to get things right, we've got to start with us, one at a time. I've got to start with me. And in order to correct the element, one thing they had to do was to begin to partake the Lord's Supper correctly. They wanted to get the church at Corinth straightened out. They had to get down some of the most basic things. One of them was worship. In particular, in this case, the Lord's Supper. They had to get it right. In order to do this, they had to look at themselves And so again, the bottom line that Paul lays out for us, take a look. Take a look. As we close our lesson this afternoon, this evening, there's one thing I want all of us to do, asking all of us to do. Take a look. Take a look at ourselves. Where do we stand in the sight of God? It may be tonight that you're here, and you are in a good standing with the Lord. We're thankful for that. You know, that is as we approach this week and uh, the day that we call Thanksgiving, that's one thing that we can be thankful for, that we can have an opportunity to stand right in the sight of God. And if we've been living and walking in the light as we're taught to walk in the light, then we need to be thankful that, that we, we are standing right with God. And as we observe ourselves, we take a good stock of ourselves, and we'll know whether we are or not when we compare our life to the Word of God and make sure that it fits. But it may be tonight that when you take a good look at yourself that you don't like what you see because you know that you're not right with God. Not right with God. But the th- good thing is we can be right with God, can't we? It may be tonight you're not right with God because you've never obeyed the gospel. Put your Lord on in baptism. If you know what you need to do in regard to that, we would love to assist you this very night to become a child of God, having your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. It may be tonight that you need to know more. You've heard a little bit, but you want to know more about what I need to do in order to be saved. Any of us would love to sit down and study God's Word with you and help you to understand what God has to say in regard to salvation. If you know that you're not right with God because you're not a part of His family, not in Christ, then we would ask you in just a moment to to make your desires known. But maybe you're here and you've become a Christian and you looked at yourself and again you don't like what you see. Because even though you've had your sins washed away, you haven't been living like it. And you need to come back to the Lord. If you need to respond after having looked at yourself tonight, for whatever reason it may be, why don't you come right now as we stand in sing.